I'll tell you, Christmas karaoke and a vanilla ice reference in the same ser uh, service. That was awesome. I appreciate that. And I heard, and then I heard a line from a vanilla ice song turn into something we can move in the spirit with, and I loved it. Thank you. That was great. Yeah, it was solid. It was really solid. Well, good morning, everyone. Just, uh, just want to say uh, thank you for uh, allowing me uh, some time this morning with you. Um, <clears throat> whenever I'm asked to come up here, uh, I can always hear Casey in the background telling me to share what brings a fire to my belly. Right. <laughs> yeah. And each time I always think about when he says that, I always think about hopefully it's not the Del Taco that <laughs> I had the night before that would bring that fire. No, no not that one. But, you know, every time I go uh, into preparing for these type of things, I, I always take into consideration what he shares about that, um, sharing from the fire in my belly. And I, I hope what I'm sharing today is uh, something that resonates with you guys. So um, <clears throat> today, I want to talk about plans. So some of you guys probably have a lift note. If you didn't get one, there should be some, hopefully still on the connection cart. Uh, but grab one of those um, if, if you can. And I don't want to just talk about plans. I mean, it was funny because you said, hey, early, right when you were up here, you were saying, hey, the thing with the Jubilee was not part of the plan. And yet it still came through, right? And so it's like, it's resonating already with what I'm hearing. And I just want to talk about, you know, I want to talk about. Sorry, hold that a little higher. You're muffling it. Oh, I'm muffling it. Just move it up a little. You were like that. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Got it. Thank you. I know. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. All right. <clears throat> okay. So, um, the plans I want to talk about are the ones that don't go as planned. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I like to have plans. Sometimes I'll do crazy stuff, but I like to have plans. They help out a lot. Um, I would even say, in most cases, I live off of plans. Uh, I, don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if I would know what I was doing if... I didn't have plans. <laughs> I, I know that sounds funny because it's like, hey, we still do what we're doing, but I, maybe I'm just a little too busy. I don't know. But my wife and I, for example, we put all of our plans in a calendar app, a group or you know, a shared calendar app so we know what we have to do today and what we have to do tomorrow. And hey, did we have this thing going on? And we, we look at that thing all the time because we're like, man, did we double book? Did we do that? Um, I'm just really popular and fun. And so it's, I got lots of, you know, got lots of things going on. Um, some of you in this room might remember when those calendar, before the calendar apps in your phone, you had those big notebooks that you'd carry around called what? Planners. planners, daily planners. They had calendars and you'd walk through it and you'd write in all those and you'd carry that around. Thank goodness. They're, some, of, some of us still have them. Some of them still, they are good. They are good. Um, if I didn't know my plans, I'd probably be pretty uncomfortable and lost. Um, and honestly, for today, I looked at my calendar and I noticed I had to be here, so I'm here, and that's a good thing. And I also put in there that I should wear pants today, so that's a good thing for you guys. Um, yes, amen, amen for sure. Imagine how much sadder it would be if I didn't check my calendar, didn't come to church, 
and uh, bless you with my perfect presence. I mean, if I didn't do that, I'm, you're welcome. I stuck to the plan. You see? Plans work. Um, speaking of plans, we had plans yesterday. My wife and I, uh, we were joined by some friends yesterday. We went to one of those murder mystery dinners. And it was so cool because I, we love those. We love those murder mystery dinners. And I started realizing, like, if the murder mystery dinner didn't have a... Like, usually with those, those murder mystery dinners, when you do them, there's like a theme, right? Hey, we're having a dinner. Nothing is going to go wrong, right? At least in the theme of it, you know? And then all of a sudden a murder occurs, and then it's like, wow, that didn't go as planned. And it started to make me think more about just, like, plans and how important they are. Because <laughs> things get crazy afterwards. Um, but we were, we were going to this uh, murder mystery dinner with uh, some friends, and um, we were talking in the car on the way up, and our friend had mentioned that there was this opportunity when they came back from the mission field uh, for a, a, what amounted to kind of like a job opportunity. And um, there, it, it seemed pretty exciting, and it had some other extensions to it, for example, where they might be landing, they'd be near a school that was a really decorated school for her daughter, and her, and her daughter would, you know, it was a school that could potentially be a gateway to one of those Ivy League schools, and it was like, hey man, this sounds exciting, fill out that application. It's one of the plans we put in our heart, maybe that's the way we're going, we start dreaming about those things, and it might even be there, and I can only assume from the conversation that that could have been one of the plans on her heart, and it didn't turn out that way. And, and they didn't get to do that. Instead, they landed here, in Menifee. I mean, they got to meet me. I mean, that's you know, this is part of the good plan. But, um, but it's still funny because, you, you know, you put in your heart these plans. We all do this, right? We all think about plans that we might envision, oh, this is where God's taking me, or maybe this is where I'm going. I can see it. I can feel it almost. You can feel like a sense, like you, you start putting yourself into the plan about where things are headed. And... Um, it, I just thought that was pretty interesting as I was processing for the last several weeks really about plans and when they don't go the way that you hoped. So I want to share, <laughs> share a story with you about probably why I like plans so much because of something that happened to me many moons ago when it didn't go as planned. So I'd like to share that with you now. Now, most of you, I mean, some of you guys know I've been working at the college here, Mount San Jacinto College, for over 25 years. Uh, early in my career, I was doing a lot of IT work, a lot of the computer stuff, um, working on computers. And, and in that line of work we, at the college, we come across a lot of student workers. So these are students that are going to school there, but they also get like student jobs and they get to work with us and they do the different things and they learn about things. And it's a, it's a really cool program. And oftentimes, they come in and out. So you go to school there, you get the job, but when you're done with your school, you're no longer working there. So I, I met a lot of student workers over time. Um, and so it was interesting that one day, out of the blue, after several years of working at the college, this is early in my career, I got a phone call on my personal cell phone from one of those student workers that, I, that no longer worked there. And um, I was pretty shocked to get a phone call from that person because I didn't provide my phone number to this person and also like barely chatted with this person in passing really. We didn't really work together very closely. But nevertheless, picked up the phone. Hi, her name was Glendale, okay? Glendale had worked at the college, you know, the year before but she had finished school and she was no longer working there. And now the only time I really engaged with her again was like through a couple different things at the college and it was in passing mostly. 
We didn't uh, work closely together, but we crossed paths because she was in the business department. We'd come in and work on the computers in the business department, say hi, you know, pleasantries, all that kind of stuff. But, um, but we were not closely connected. I was pretty surprised when she called me on my personal cell phone, and she went on to explain it a little bit. She said, hey, you're probably wondering how I got your cell phone number, and I was like, uh, kinda, yeah. And she's like, well, it was, and we had a, a mutual colleague, um, a faculty member who wor she worked for, when she shared that she had some challenges with her computer, he said, hey, well, he's a computer guy, maybe he'll help you. And so, she, so this gentleman, uh, gave my personal phone number to her, and that was kind of interesting. Now, the truth is, I, I don't do house calls, um, but Glendale made it sound like she really needed help. She believed somebody, um, she believed that there was like spyware on her computer. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with spyware, but spyware is just, it really all it is is just, um, she said, I think somebody's spying on me. That's what she said, right? And I attribute it to, it's spyware. Spyware is a software that comes in and what it does is it just collects information from you, demographic data, and it sells it to advertisers. Easy to clean up, not a problem. She felt really like a sense of urgency with it, so I said, okay, I'll help you. You know, we'll get this done, just, just get it done, you know? Nothing crazy. Um, I felt sorry for her. I decided I'll go do it, take care of the spyware. That was the plan, okay? I want you to be, I want to be very clear about this. The plan was for me to go over clean out the spyware, get out of there, okay? Um, I got there, and she brought me to the computer, and she explained a little bit about the situation. And she shared with me the details I realized after hearing these details that we weren't talking about spyware. She was really thinking somebody was spying on her. And I, she said, I think somebody's accessing my email. I think somebody has my password. I think somebody has, you know, she called it a keylogger. Some of you guys might know what that means. It means it just logs the, what you type in on your keyboard. And she's like sharing this with me and um, she actually believed somebody was spying on her. I was really confused at that point and, and I was trying to get to the bottom of it like, okay, tell me a little bit more. And she mentioned she believed who she knew the spy was. It was her boyfriend. And that she, her boyfriend didn't trust her. And he was a very jealous man. Now, at this moment in the story, <laughs> when Glendale continues to share her concerns about, you know, that, I pretty much tuned her out by that moment. And I see her mouth moving and she's talking, but I'm kind of surveying the situation now after hearing that. And I'm like, uh doing my own little detective work. I like doing that when we go to the murder mysteries. I was like, hey, maybe I could do a little detective work here. So we got this jealous boyfriend who might be spying on her. I, a man, <laughs> handsome and charming at that, right, am in her house helping her on this computer that just so happens, I realize, there's a bed in that room where the computer is. It's her bedroom. I'm, I'm a little concerned now. This was not part of the plan. All right? But it gets worse. Okay? I remember jumping up. I remember jumping up. I was like, uh, Glendale, uh, 
and she, you know, she's kind of like startled a little bit. I said, this is not a computer issue that you're dealing with. This is a much deeper rooted issue that you have to take care of. And you probably need to talk to your, your, your boyfriend or, or get out of the situation. I don't know. But you don't have a spyware issue. You have a spy issue. And a much deeper thing that I'm just not like, it's above my pay grade. I'm sorry. And she starts being apologetic. She goes, I know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get you involved with this. I understand if you need to go, this and that. And I thought that would be the last of it, you know. And we didn't talk. After I left, I said, good, good luck. Hope everything goes well for you. Whatever. She didn't work with me at the college anymore, so I, whatever. But I got a call from her about eight months later. Out of the blue, again, on the same cell phone. And I answered with a little trepidation. And I said, uh, hello? And she's like, hi, Micah, how are you? And I'm like, uh, fine, how are you? And she said, well, I'm getting married. Okay. And I'm like, uh, congratulations. And I mean, seriously, like after I said congratulations, there was this weird, awkward silence on the phone for a minute. And I didn't know what that meant or whatever. And then she said, like, she knew where I was going with it. She goes, same guy. And so I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I mean, maybe things have gotten better. She goes, yes, things have gotten much better. It's great between us, you know. And I said, well, I wish you two the best. That's great. And I'm thinking about like, okay, I'm ready to hang up the phone right now. Um, then she drops this on me. She goes, I would really like for you to attend the wedding. And I'm thinking to myself, now mind you, I haven't seen her or heard from her in eight months, and probably no more than 45 minutes in that eight month uh, window. And before that, probably in passing a couple times, okay? And so it was really strange to me to get the invitation but she started to justify her reasoning. Listen, you got to understand, I really never had friends in this area. I'm hoping that you'd come because I don't really know a lot of people. I would just like to have people there to, to witness my, you know, my wedding and, and, and just celebrate with me. It'd be really awesome if you could do that. She goes, oh, and, and so I'm, I'm Filipino. That was one of the things we connected with. I'm Filipino. She's Filipino. She's like, oh, bring your mom. Bring your mom. We're going to have Filipino food. It's going to be great. You know, and I was like, oh, man. You know, like, this is really, like, weird. But I also started feeling a little sorry for her. Because I'm like, man, she doesn't have people in her life. And, and maybe she just needs somebody to be there. And I'm like, so I gave in. I know I probably shouldn't have. But I gave in. And I said, I'll be in attendance. And she was excited. And she gave me the details. I thought to myself, no problem. Because here's the plan. Okay? Mom and I watch the ceremony. We're going to eat dinner. We're going to congratulate the lovely couple. And we're going to be on our way. A couple hours out of my life. That's the plan. Okay? She's happy. We're going to move forward. A few weeks pass, and then I get another call from Glendale. And she says, there have been a change of plans. One of the groomsmen of the bridal party on her fiancé's side was not going to be able to make it. And she was wondering if I could fill in so that her bridal party was even on both sides for the walk down processional and for pictures. Now, this was so out of left field, right? So out of left field. I told Glendale, I go, Glendale, like seriously, I barely know you. I've never even met your fiance. Only thing I know about him is other than he's probably jealous and he might have worked for the CIA while he's, he has great spying skills. That's about all I know. This was not the plan at all. 
But Glendale had her justifications. She's like, it's her wedding day. She just wants it to be perfect. And for some idiotic reason, I obliged. <laughs> I know, I must be the crazy one now. But I had a plan. I was, was going <laughs> to sit in as one of the groomsmen for the processional and for the pictures. Okay? Oh I eat dinner. I congratulate the happy couple. And then I'm on my way. She was very appreciative, and she gave me the details. She said, okay, here's the deal. Groomsmen are going to be wearing gray suits, and the groom and the best man are going to be wearing black suits. So be sure you're wearing your gray suit. And she goes, it's very important. Otherwise, it's going to not, you know, it's going to make off balance the, the colors. And I go, okay, gray suit, you got it. I understood the assignment, we hung up, okay? About 48 hours before the big day, I received another call from Glendale. And I remember her asking if I was still coming. And I thought that was a weird question. <laughs> Are you still coming? I'm a, well, you did ask me to be a part of the bridal party. Like, why would you ask that? You know, it's kind of like a weird question. And she was asking, like, hey, are you, are you still coming? Uh, and I told her yes, and I was ready. I had picked up my gray suit from the dry cleaners, and we'd see her in a couple days. She then said something quite peculiar. She said, gray suit? She goes, no, I need you to wear black. And I told Glendale, I said, well, you told me that the gray suits were the ones for the groomsmen and only the groom and the best man were wearing black. That's when Glendale told me change of plans. <laughs> the groomsmen had all dropped out and they decided that it would be, I guess they decided they wanted to have a more intimate bridal party once people started dropping out. And with just a best man and a maid of honor, and she needed me to fill in as the best man. <laughs> uh, for a man, by the way, that I've never met before, who might be in the CIA and is very jealous. All right? This was not the plan. <laughs> But good old Glendale explained it away. It was a minor detail, and she really just needed, she just needed her wedding day to be perfect, and she was upset that everyone was dropping out, and this would be a huge thing for her. And you know what? I must have been out of my mind, because I gave in and said yes. I figured there's no back, going back now, uh, but here was the plan. I was going to fill in as the best man for the ceremony, take the pictures, eat the dinner, congratulate the happy couple, and be on my way. That was the plan, and that was it. The big day was here. I dressed up in my black suit, and I was driving to the venue. And I kept playing in my mind the phone call with Glendale when she sprung on me that I was going to need a black suit to be the best man. But then it hit me. She never said for me to kind of be the best man. She just said, I need you to wear your black suit because we had to go to a more intimate model. And then I started questioning in my head, like, wait a minute. <laughs> Gotta wear a black suit. Could it, could it be, am I getting married today? <laughs> no joke. This is what's going on as I'm driving to the wedding and I start slowly realizing. And I'm like really thinking what's going on here. That maybe this was a whole ruse in the beginning. That she just wanted to marry me. And that's what she was doing to get me there. And I was like tripping out. 
And then you start rationalizing things. Yeah, yeah, this, this, this probably makes sense because maybe I'm getting married today. Uh, maybe that's the reason why she invited my mom. You got to have your mom at your own wedding, right? I mean, it's like I'm starting to trip out. I am starting to seriously trip out. You can't, you can't get married without your mom. That's bad form. This was not the plan. Thank God in the end, though. I was just the best man of a previously jealous man who had been in the CIA, apparently. The first time I met him was in a janitor's closet because they were trying to set up and they didn't want us to be seen yet. So him and I are in a dark, tight janitor's closet. A guy that I was apparently in his home at some point or whatever, and hey, nice to meet you. Congratulations. Great to be here as your best man. And they had a lovely ceremony. And I ate, I congratulated the happy couple, and I went on my way. And I never, ever heard from Glendale again. No joke. This is all real deal right here. Um, and the only thing I could think about, because I mean, that's a season in life, it's gone, it's passed. The only thing I think about, my wife and I are into these murder mysteries and all the TV shows like Dateline and stuff. I'm like, I just hope one day, this doesn't happen, that the police come knocking on my door and they say, hey, we're trying to find some information about this guy in Glendale. And, and, and I'd be like, well, I don't know them. And they'd be like, that's funny, you're in their wedding pictures. And I'm like, what do I do at that point? So hopefully that day never comes. But anyway, that's a long lead in to tell you this. Plans need to go the way they're planned in my life. Otherwise, I might get married one day, okay? I like when things are planned. <laughs> Just helps me, okay? Um, so I don't almost get married. And so there's this idiom, and this is where it kind of starts into your, uh, your lift notes. There's this idiom adapted from an old Scottish poem by Robert Burns that goes, best laid plans of mice and men often go astray or awry. How many of you guys have heard that before? Heard the idiom of some degree, right? Best laid plans. Or maybe somebody says, oh, best, best laid plans. And what they're really saying is, man, we can prepare for all sorts of things, but it doesn't matter because something could just go awry, right? The phrase is often used when things don't go as one would hope. It's interesting because the reason why he wrote this poem was one day he was plowing his fields and he noticed that when he plowed up his fields, there was this intricate mouse nest that was built. And it likely took a lot of time by the mice to build this nest. And from the mouse's perspective, all that toil was for naught because the farmer had plowed it up in just a moment. But from the mouse's perspective, that's a rough situation. He could have done days and days and days of just building that nest for whatever future that they had planned, these mice. And he plows it up in a second. And it made him think, like, wow, that's kind of how life is, too. And so he wrote that, this longer poem, and that's one of the lines in it. And what's interesting is one of my favorite authors, John Steinbeck, um, he wrote a book off of that called Of Mice and Men. Some of you guys might be familiar with that book. And what's interesting is, this is, this is cool irony too, is he originally wrote this book uh, before it became Of Mice and Men as a children's short story. He had drafted this like children's short story to focus on the Of Mice and Men part, but he didn't end up finishing the writing of it because this is no joke. 
his dog ate the draft. So you know when kids say, hey, my dog ate my homework, we've heard that before? This literally happened to John Steinbeck. He was writing a, the draft is a children's book, and his dog ate the draft, and so then, he, the irony of that is of, of Mice and Men, the same thing, right? It's like, he planned for a children's book, and it ended up becoming a novel, and it became one of the most important novels of that time, and if you guys aren't familiar with that book, it was, um, you know, it follows the lives, lives of two migrant work, uh, laborers trying to get ahead during the Great Depression in the Dust Bowl. They plan to achieve, you know, the American dream, just get a house together on their own, and... Uh, but as the title suggests uh, of Mice and Men, even the best laid plans can go astray in just a moment's time. And that's what happened in that story, if you're familiar with that story. I don't want to give it up because it's a really cool story if you want to read that of Mice and Men. Um, we all make plans and we've experienced when they don't go as planned. It could be as little as a missed appointment to a job that didn't come, to something bigger like a relationship that didn't work out, or even an unexpected loss. And that's kind of what I've been experiencing over the last, I would say, six weeks with the unexpected loss of my sister Carolyn. You guys, many of you guys know her. Um, she was a part of this church, a member of this family for multiple years. But I would say in the last probably two years, she really came into her own here at the church. And, pro and it's funny because knowing her all my life, prior to her life with Christ, she was a free spirit but a rebellious teen and uh, young adult. Um, and those... Ways didn't even depart from her when she became a mature adult, uh, if you want to call it mature. Um, she lived on the edge most of her life, and, and sometimes she stumbled over, you know? And when I became an adult, uh, and she was still living that life, it was really tough for me to deal with her. I, I'm just being honest as a brother. Um, it was really tough, man, because I was like, man, you have so much that you could be doing in life, and you're, you're just, you know, stumbling over on the edge of it. You know, and uh, but when my when God softened my heart towards her in terms of recognizing that she was operating out of an orphan spirit, um, I started to see her in a different light, and I think some of you were able to recognize that in her too. Um, we became very close in the last couple of years through uh, you know our our relationship. Uh, and are, are striving after what J Jesus has for us. And we even got to share um, the mission field internationally. Uh, some of you, I mean, a lot of you, I'm sure, here know um, when we were able to go to Breath of Heaven in Zambia, Africa this past summer. Um, and it was just awesome to see her out there operating in full freedom, full joy. And I was just so delighted, really delighted to see her up here. If you guys were here for Testimony Sunday, seeing her up here, she was glowing. Yes, she was. Yeah. Um, Hmm. And I, I could tell she was really starting to believe, you know, um, that she was a beloved daughter, and that was her identity. She, before, she would always be in the orphan spirit, but I started to see that she was believing that that orphan spirit was fleeing. It was gone, and it was so cool to see. Um, And beautiful things were happening in her life. Uh, she, was, she was able to become a loving and doting grandmother, which I think was huge to her because I think she would tell, she, if she was here, she would tell you herself, she struggled as a mom and she wanted to do better as a mom. And the opportunity for her to do that with her grandson was just this awesome thing and you could see it and it was, it was full of joy. Um, and it was just great. She was able to meet her biological father after 50 years. 
Um, I know that was a huge part of what she desired in her heart, and she was able to do that. God brought that together. It was just an awesome thing. She was asked recently to be a part of Kids Crew for Elevation. That you know, After wrestling with it for a minute, she was stirred up and excited about it. Even to the point where that night she ended up having to go to the hospital. She was telling my mom, like, hey, I got to go to bed early because I'm going. I got to get there at 9 o'clock for prayer. Um, we had some great talks, you know, this last couple of years. Um, like never before, really. Just invitation and challenge. A lot of inviting her into things and challenging her to grow in places where she knew she could in the Lord. I remember one talk specifically after we got back from Africa. Uh, she wanted so badly to do something for the house moms and aunties. It was like a huge thing to her um, because she was a caregiver back here. She resonated with what they did out there for the orphans, and she really wanted to uh, do that. She spent some really solid individual time with them while she was out in Africa. If you guys remember, some of you, she had trouble with her visa, so she didn't get to go with us the first week. So she went the second week, and she got to stay an additional week, and she got to spend intimate time with them and really grow relationships. And she was just so excited when she got back. She goes, I really want to do something for them, Micah. I, I really feel that they need some additional support. And we started you know, chatting about it. And she's just trying to figure out, like, how can I do something like that, though? How can I, you know, just me be able to make something happen for that? I know everybody's focused on the orphans, and that's great. I love them, too. But for the house moms, how do I get that going? And I was like, hey, man, with the Lord, <laughs> you know, just trying to work with, her. hey, with the Lord, things, things are going to, you know, look up with that, you know? And, and I think you, as time passes, you're gonna, he's going to reveal to you the things that you need to hear so that you can get started on that. Um, and it was just super rewarding to be able to see my sister grow in the ways that she's been growing and to be able to be a part of it on the periphery and in some places right in the middle of it. And it was super cool. And it felt like, I'll be honest with you, it felt like God was lining up a plan for us to invest for years to come in each other, you know? So I was troubled with the idea of like, man, but we're just getting started for her to go. I'm sorry. Oh. I mean, how could that not be the plan? The way things were lining up, you know? How can that not be the plan? Of course, you go to the scriptures. You go to the scriptures because you want something that's going to lift you up, encourage you, try to help you understand why things weren't going. I'm a plan guy. This was not the plan I needed. And I know he's not responsible for where, where it's at, but it's just still frustrating, you know? But I went to the scriptures, and this is where I want to share with you guys. Uh, in Mark 5, you know, I was brought to the story of the house of Jairus. And he's a synagogue leader, uh, leader with a sick daughter. And you guys, I'm sure many of you guys know this story. And, and it starts, the part that I'm looking at is starts in 521. Uh, and it says this, it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was at the lake. Then one of his synagogue leaders named Jairus um, came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now at this point, Jesus was performing miracles and healings all over already. 
So when Jairus saw the opportunity to engage Jesus about his daughter, he did, and Jesus obliged. That's got to be an awesome feeling for Jairus in that moment, I would think, right? You see this guy, and he's performing these healings, and you know, man, that's the ticket. My daughter's, my daughter's going to be healed now. And I'm sure, and I'm, I'm sure, like, that's where he was headed. He, he had this plan, like, okay, you just got off the boat. I just asked you. We're going to start heading over to my house. Perfect. But as you can, and I don't have it up on screen, but the next part as they're heading towards Jairus' house, uh, the next part of the scripture actually is verses 25 through 34, and that happens to be a detour in a good way. As he's walking through the town, the hemorrhaging woman reaches out, grabs the hem of his garment, and she's healed. And then a conversation occurs, an interaction occurs. And it's awesome, right? Yes. It's awesome. But I got to be thinking if I'm Jairus, and this is just me, if I'm Jairus, and, I, and, and the text doesn't say this, but if I'm the dad who's concerned about my daughter, who's sick over here, and I know you can heal, and I don't know, she doesn't look like she has much time maybe, and we're on our way, and you get stopped, and now you're having a, a, a mini miracle healing sermon going on because he's also talking over there with the people. And I, I, now I'm starting to get a little uncomfortable because what about, what, what about the plan? What about the plan for you to come over my house? What about the plan to heal my daughter? Now, of course, he doesn't say that. It's not in the text. But I think naturally we might feel that way. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um... I mean, even to the point where, like, if people in the town knew this woman, they knew that she was dealing with this for multiple years, it's like, hey, Lord, I got a sick girl that's a, you're not doing real well. That woman's been bleeding for 12 years. What's another 30 minutes? <laughs> like, honestly, though, I know, I know it's a laugh, right? But come on. It's like, come on now. In the natural, that's how we feel. And then in verse 35, we see the outcome of this unplanned detour. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? When things didn't go as planned, the house of Jairus offered that he should no longer bother with asking Jesus to continue with the original plan. No point. She is dead. Bless you. Famous heavyweight boxing champ Iron Mike Tyson once asked by the media whether he had any concerns about his opponent who was preparing a game plan to counter Tyson's aggressive style, to which Iron Mike responded, I want to do it in his voice, but I can't. Um, <laughs> I won't, I won't, I won't. Everyone has a plan. Can't do it. Can't. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that's an interesting statement. Those are wise words from the champ because if you really think about it, yeah, you, everybody has a plan, but the moment something gets in the way of that plan, we kind of get like turned back on it. Like, whoa, things aren't going the way that I expected them to go. Now I got to start like uh, tap dancing or I got to like start adapting or I got to start, you know, doing something else, diverting. I don't know. But we get into that, like, you know, 
flight mode a little bit and we're like, oh no, what do we do? And that's what often happened with Iron Mike Tyson. If you came in there thinking that you were going to, and then he punches you in the face, you're usually like, I'm out of here, you know? Many people did. Um, but it's true, right? We've all kind of been there before. We've done this. When things don't go as planned, as if we were getting punched in the mouth, we start to scramble. We start to throw out audibles, hot routes. Things get uncomfortable. We start reacting right away to the challenge that's right before us. And oftentimes, it doesn't turn out any better with our reactions. But this is the beauty of this, this entire passage. But how we should respond when our plans don't go as planned? Enter Jesus. In verse 36... I love this. It says, overhearing what they said. So Jesus is hearing what just transpired. Remember, the family, the house of Jairus came over and said, hey, don't bother him. She's dead. Don't bother him. Let's, let's, just, let's just move on. He's got other things to do, you know? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus hears what was being told to Jairus, and he advises them to not divert from the plan to see his daughter, but to rather have faith in him. Because fear is that liar that can mask the truth of what lies before you. Fear can steal what faith can heal. We have to be very careful because it's like getting punched in the mouth. Most of those boxers were like, whoa, that hurts. I don't want that. I'm scared of that. Same idea, when plans don't go our way, we start to go, uh, I'm not ready for this. I was expecting this. I am not ready for this. And you start to shake a little bit. And what Jesus is saying is, don't do that. Don't do that. Have faith. Believe. Avoid fear. Believe in what, who I am and what I've already shared with you. I'll be coming with you. Times like this when we get punched in the mouth and things don't go planned, we must build our faith in that way that he's talking about. And uh, Don said earlier, we've got to stand firm on the promises. I heard you say that and it was when I was preparing this, same thing, got to stand firm on the promises. You know, I mean, a very familiar, you know, life type verse for a lot of people is Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When we embrace those promises of the Lord, when things don't go our way or how we hope we planned they would go, we can hold on to the fact that he promises not only does he have plans for us, which is great, that he has plans for us. We're not just in this space and it's like, uh, I got plans for you and you, but not you over there. I don't know what's going to happen. He has plans for us. That's a great comfort in knowing that he has them. And not just that he has them, but they're plans to prosper us. They aren't going to harm us. Even when it, we can't see the way it's working out, they're still not there to harm us. They're to provide us hope and not despair and plans to provide us a future and not an end. So we got to stand firmly on his promises. That builds our faith foundation right there. What else? We got to build a faith that also seeks wise counsel. It says in Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for a lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. The worst thing we can do, and this is just something I've learned, is process life without wise, godly counsel. I don't know where I'd be if I was left up to my own devices. Apparently, I might have got married. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, that's not 
You guys are laughing, but I'm worried now about what that was. To a complete stranger, practically. But God surrounds us with wise counsel. Even if you don't know who they are because maybe you haven't developed those relationships deeply, you should. Surround yourself with that wise counsel. Learn to develop those relationships deeply because it's in those people. There's, there's countless people in this family here that I've reached out to on things of my own life and the struggles that I've had. And we've wrestled with these discussions and we've had the, the questions of life being able just to have somebody else share it. Because yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. There's times where I'm so upset. I don't want to go to the word. We should, but I don't want to because I'm upset. You know, last week you shared on Psalm 126 and you know, we're doing... Lectio Divina, and I'm thinking about the last part there um, where it's saying like, hey, you're going to sow in tears. And I go, I don't want to sow in tears. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was not the season I want. But as we dig deeper, of course, there's something better in that verse. But sometimes because of the way we're feeling, we need the wise counsel, the level-headedness to be around us so that we can better understand what we might be going through. So important. Okay. Lastly, we got to build that faith on trusting in the Lord's plan, even when we don't recognize it or, as I just pointed out, we're not comfortable with it. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's only the Lord's purposes that prevail. Proverbs 19.21. We've all planned out parts of our lives before, but we must remember that when things don't go as planned, we have to have faith that God's perfect plan is unfolding right before us. It's happening right before us. We might not think it and we're like struggling with it, but it's unfolding right before us because his perfect plan is happening. Maybe not on the time that we're familiar with, but it's happening. And that takes us back to this house of Jairus from the passage that we shared. They did have a plan. They wanted to heal a sick girl, but Jesus had a different one. Verse 41, it says, He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. You see, the house of Jairus was planning for a healing, but my Jesus had something bigger and better. Talitha kum, and she was raised. What if Jairus had listened to his housemates? When they said, hey, don't bother him anymore. Let's just go on with some other plan. Let's figure it out. We'll figure it out on our own understanding. Let's say that Jesus kept about his business and he kept doing what he was doing. This young girl, she wouldn't be there. But of course, God had a better plan. God had a great plan. She was raised. And it's no different for us, right? If we get punched in the mouth, things don't go as planned, what if we're missing out on something bigger though? What if we think, man, that's what we should have had. I should have had that time with my sister. What if there's something bigger that comes from it? It's not what we want, but it comes from it. See, we all have wounds that we know Jesus can heal. And we might be planning for a healing, but what if Jesus was planning for a resurrection? Healing's great, but man, we serve a big God. What if, you know, us thinking and planning for a healing, he's showing us, I got a resurrection for you. 
I got something bigger. I got something to show you that, that you can't even think or, uh, or fathom. I've got a resurrection coming. Yes. And that, that settled me a little bit as I was processing through with the sister thing. Because I know she's in the best place she could be. I know that. She's in the loving arms of our father. I know that. And from her earthly loss, though, I've also started to process and recognize some other things. Several things have transpired that can only be wonderful things of the Father. We've seen redeemed relationships in our extended family. Everybody was gathering, of course, as, as her last days, and there's people that were coming out of the woodwork, and we're like, oh, you're my family member? Great. It's good to see you again. You know, that kind of stuff was happening, and we had some really cool uh, redemptive things happening in the family. Um, two of my family members have decided to return to a local fellowship of followers of Jesus. They had expressed clearly, like they were saying, I left the church because I was wounded, but I know I need to go back. And we were able to hear that uh, from them and be able to pray into that a little bit and to continue to pray for them. It was super cool to see that um, from that. Uh, we had one family friend who has always never believed. As a matter of fact, would always... Um, we'd have the discussions that were argumentative, you know, the ones that would be like, hey, well, it's debate, debate, healthy argument, debate, you know. But he had happened to also lose his dad the, two days later. And he had come to my sister's service here, this church, and, and uh, something was shifting in him. It was shifting in him, and I can see it. And then when we went to his uh, father's service the following weekend, he had expressed that there was things that he was thinking about, that he hadn't thought about in those ways before because sadly, mortality brings that to you, right? You, you start thinking about the things that you, uh, you have to think about, but God is gonna use that, I believe, for him so that he knows his father in heaven. And that was super cool. But lastly, what was really cool, because remember that conversation I was telling you about that Carol Carolyn and I had about, she wanted to do something for the house moms and aunties, and she didn't know how she was going to do that on her own strength. As a result of everything that had happened, God revealed that we would establish a fund in her name called Carolyn's Heart to raise funds for the house mothers and aunties, the very thing that she wanted to do. And funds and contributions have been pouring in, and they're going to have this special Christmas experience that they don't usually get to have the house mothers because they're usually grinding themselves but Ted and Judy have said they just sent an email this past week with the resources we're going to be able to do this for them and that's my sister yeah she got to do that so God's plan is so much better than our own so much better than our own so I want to encourage you in closing here today if you've been contending for something that doesn't feel like it's gone to plan, okay? Like a relationship that needs mending or a physical healing that has not come to pass in the natural yet or you're still waiting on the prodigals to come home or situations in this world, the conflicts in the Middle East, those type of things, if it's, if it's scaring you and it's giving you these feelings, I just want to encourage you that if we can stand firm on his promises, build our faith foundation or stand firm on his promises because he does have a great plan that will prosper us, that won't provide or bring us harm, that will have a hope and a future. If we seek that godly counsel when we're wrestling with those things and uh, 
and we trust in the perfect plan that's still coming, I think that while we might be waiting for a healing, he's going to show us a resurrection. So, so I'm going to just close us in a quick prayer, and then uh, we'll have a prayer team afterwards. And if you're in this room and this is this is pulled on you today, and you know you need to talk about it, do not, do not, do not hesitate. Do not go out this this room without speaking to somebody about it. Okay. So let me pray. Father God, uh, just thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to share my heart, the fire in my belly. Thank you for this family of followers that has just been so good to me and my family. Lord, we know that your plan is perfect. Sometimes it's hard for us to wrestle with the way things play out, but Lord, we come to you in full surrender. We want to embrace what you have for us, Lord. We know that you have promises for us. You're going to prosper us. You're not going to harm us, Lord. We stand firm in those promises, Lord. Father, we just uh, thank you for the people that you put in our lives that we can go to for that wise counsel. And Father, we trust you that you have a plan that we can't even fathom or think right now, Lord. I pray for the people that are contending for something in this room, Lord, that you would, you would reveal to them the things that encourage them and let them know that you still have a perfect plan ahead. Lord, that that they can keep their eyes open to what you're doing in those things, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, that uh, we get every day to learn a little bit more about who you are and what you have for us in this, this life, this side of heaven, Lord. And also excited that there will be one day where every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that you are Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I ask that you would bless this congregation as we leave today and that we would be encouraged for what you shared today, Lord. And I ask this in your son's mighty name. Amen. All right. So prayer team, prayer team up front. You know what to do, people. Don't get punched in the mouth. All right.